Welcome to the Change Group Podcast, where we strive to have conversations each month that will help you as a leader to move your church forward toward healthy, lasting change. Welcome this month to our Change Group Podcast. We are blessed uh, this month to have with us Pastor Mel Massengale from Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. Mel, welcome, and uh, it's great to have you with us. Hey, it's my pleasure. I'm honored to be hanging out with you today. Uh, tell us a little about where you're pastoring and uh, what you're doing yeah, in Indiana. Yeah, I, I pastor um, uh, Summit Church in Indiana, PA. Um, it's a, by, by my standards, Indiana's a rural town by, by a lot of people's standards, uh, but we're in a, a county of about 90,000 people, um, and we're the largest town in our county. We've got a university there, um, and our town has about 10,000 people in it. So, um, so yeah, we're kind of in the middle of nowhere, um, but... But uh, yeah, it's good. We love it. It's awesome. Uh, how long have you been pastoring there? Uh, we we came on staff as the the lead pastors in January of 2014, um, and so saw some. Uh, you know, the church was already a strong church when we got there, but we've seen some pretty cool things happen. God's done some cool things, so uh, I'm I'm grateful for you know where we're at and what what God has done. That's awesome. When you first took over back in uh, 2014, what were some of your uh, first priorities in your church? Um, I think one of the things that I tried to do was look at, hey, what are the what are the weaknesses in the church? What are the things that we can um, what are the things that we can change simply? Um, and so when we first went and took a look, it was like, man, there is a weak spot in worship. Um, it was just inconsistent or, man, this church was, it was a church of about 500, but they had no small group ministry or, you know, there was things like that, that we just felt like, okay, it's kind of like if you go into a house and some people can see, okay, it's got good bones, but we need to do this and this and this. And that's kind of the way I felt. I felt like, man, there's lots of potential here. Um, and so we just kind of looked for what are the things that, that we can change simply that are going to bring a lot of return. Was it kind of the low-hanging fruit? Yeah, in a lot of ways. Uh, and some of that stuff we knew, too, was going to cause some issues like, um, okay, people aren't probably going to like this. So we had to pray about some of that and prioritize some of it. And uh, and so, yeah, but, but the, the stuff that was easy to change, it was like, let's change it right now. Let's get going. What was the first thing you changed? Um, the very first thing I did was I hired a worship pastor. And it was we had uh, like five different worship leaders and they all had their unique style and flavor and things they liked. And so I could look at the worship set list for the weekend. I could tell you who was leading because they all had like their six favorite songs. Um, And so it was just totally inconsistent. And so that was one of the first things I did was bring in a worship. Kind of a schizophrenic worship culture. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, And so that helped con- bring consistency to our set list, to the quality, what we were doing. That made a big difference. So we did that. Um, you know, I did something that was very unpopular. We had a Saturday night service when I went there that was uh, that was not great. And I think I can say this, but, like, we didn't have kids ministry on Saturday night. We didn't um, – our, our worship um, – our they would let people lead on went on a su- Saturday night that they would never let lead on a Sunday morning normally. Uh, so the quality wasn't the, the same. The quality just was dramatically different. And so I just 
I, I canceled Saturday night service after about three months in. That was the biggest change, and that was very unpopular. Was that because of a priority of excellence, not not having yeah, like a sure. second class service? Yeah, for sure. I didn't want somebody walking in and making an excuse for it, and I didn't want a family to walk in, a new family, and have to go. Well, I'm really sorry, but you should try us out on Sunday. It's better. And that's what I felt like I was doing. Yeah. And so we just said, if, we're, if we can't do it well, we're not going to do it. And so we literally dropped, a, we had about 80 people probably on a Saturday night, and half of them didn't come to church anymore after that. They yeah. were like, we're not coming back. But it was still the right choice to make. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. It's good. Yeah, that was that was that was prioritizing most, a value that you were instituting that wasn't necessarily there. Hundred yeah. percent, and so that wasn't popular at all at first among that group of people, but it was better in the long run. And when we added Saturday night back a year later, it was out of necessity. We needed the space, and we added it back the right way. We, it looked like our Sunday morning did, yeah. so it was good. That's good. Yeah. How, how has have you seen the culture in your church change over the last seven years? Um, you know, it's hard. Well, one of the things that I've had. Um, I've had several of our old timers tell me, you know, people that have been around, um, is that one of the changes they've seen is that people will stick around for an hour after service talking and, you know, visiting in the lobby or whatever. And, and they've said, you know, before, before you guys came, we never saw that. And so I, I feel like, you know, every church wants to be hospitable and friendly and warm and that, those kind of things. But I think, that's something that a lot of people will say about our church that they see. That's a major shift. And, and it was. Yeah, it definitely was. Um, and part of it was probably leadership, too. Like, the former pastor, he, he wasn't in the lobby very often. And, and that's wasn't not his a personality. That's just not his personality. Mm-hmm. And so for me, I, I tell I tell pastors all the time that I preach from the stage, but I pastor in the lobby. And that's so really for me, I want to be in the lobby. Like, I want to talk to people because they're going to forget what I preached about, but they probably won't forget the three-minute conversation I had with them when they tell me what's going on with their grandchild and I pray with them or, really you know. Um, and so I think that helped set the tone when it was like, yeah, I'm going to be out here before and after services. And you I'm modeled gonna, it. Yeah, I'm going to be the last one to leave if, if that's what I need to do. So Practically speaking, how do you do that? Do you stand at a door? Do you stand at like an information center? Do you position yourself in the middle of the lobby? How, how do you do that practically? Yeah. Um, so we have two entrances. One is near our kids' uh, kids wing, and one is like our main door, our front door. And so after, before and after each service, I'll switch because I want to catch as many of the people I, as I can. So if I'm in front – if I'm by one door – at the beginning of the service, I'll be at the other door at the end of service. Um, so that's just what I do. I'll try to rotate through and it's really good. catch it's really good. people. Yeah. Uh, one one of the things that I, you know I've just watched from a distance, you're you know really good at developing people and just investing them. And and uh, what what's been a big catalyst for you in developing leaders in your church? Uh, I think trusting them enough, giving them opportunities to screw up and make mistakes, and not having. You know, we, we, you mentioned earlier, excellence is a value for us, but development is a higher value for us. That's good. So if we have to sacrifice some excellence in order to develop people, we will. Now, we don't want it to be half as excellent, yeah. but at the same time, um, I want people leading worship that aren't on our staff, you know, that aren't paid to lead yeah. worship. Because uh, if we're not, then we're not developing them. So we try to take that approach in a lot of different areas, give people an opportunity, even if they're maybe not quite ready. Um, so what's that threshold? Is it 75%? I think it's different depending on what the yeah. role is. Yeah. Um, I probably wouldn't put somebody um, in certain roles who are 70 or 60% as good. Because I know I've heard like Craig Rochelle say 60%. If yeah. somebody's 60% as good as you, let them do the job. Uh, I, I don't know if I would do that with preaching, but, you know, on a, on a weekend. But there's lots of roles that I would say, 
okay, it's it's not as critical for it to be exactly the same. So it kind of depends on what the role is. Like as a greeter or, yeah. you know, not that greeting isn't important. It is. But that that threshold between 60 and 80 isn't yeah. that big. Yeah, you're, pretty, you're exactly right. Yeah. So it depends on what it is. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, we've just been really intentional about it, how we spend our money even investing in a residency program or, you know, different things like that. Because we can all say we value something, but if we're not spending time and resources toward that, then we really don't value it probably. It's very true. If you could do it all over again, what would you do differently at Summit in the first few years you you came there? I honestly don't know that I would do anything differently. Yeah. Um, Because we experienced a lot of pain and people leaving and – but most of the people who left were based on decisions that we wouldn't have changed. Yeah. Like we needed to do this and you left because you didn't like this and that was painful, but yeah. we still needed to do it. Bet. Bet. So I don't know. It sounds arrogant to say I wouldn't have changed anything, but. No, I think you knew what you were doing and that's uh, that's a good thing. Yeah. So as far as the big decisions, I'm sure there's some personnel things that I'm like, oh, I probably didn't handle that the right way. Yeah. Or, yeah. But as far as big decisions, yeah. no. Um, you know, about. Uh, year and a half ago now, you know, I lost my dad and one of the most difficult, painful experiences I've ever walked through. And I know yeah. a month later you lost your, your father yeah. and, uh, just both very suddenly completely unexpected. And, uh, as a pastor leading a church, it's a really unique place to, to find yourself. I know yeah. for me, um, uh, you know, after my dad passed away, I took a month off and even past that, it was a journey to even get back to, uh, um, a place where I, I was like comfortable, ready lead it, to lead again. Yeah. Um, f- for you, what what have you learned about pastoring while dealing with your own grief? Kind of for, for someone, a pastor who might be listening, who's who's walking through that themselves. What, what what's a what's a kind of a lesson you learned through that season? Um, one of the things I learned is that um, I can't wait to feel like doing it, or I'm not going to do it. So like. If I, especially early on, if I felt like waiting, uh, waiting to write my message till I felt like it, like <laughs> I'm, Never not, gonna I'm not preaching this weekend, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, and so that would be one of the things that there's some things that we just have to be resilient. We just have to dig deep and go, okay, I got to do this. Uh, and there's a lot of stuff that that just honestly I didn't have the emotional bandwidth to deal with because then when we came in you, you know we've talked through this yeah. but we came into COVID and yep. and that was emotionally wear, wearing on me as well so there were some things that I just had to prioritize and go these are the things I have to do these are the things that I don't need to do they're good things but I'm just not going to do them because yeah. I don't have the emotional bandwidth to do kind of doing triage yeah absolutely yeah um and then you know one of the other things I've told people uh, specifically about our relationship and uh, Scott Stevens from Northway. Yeah. I know you and I have talked about. Yep. He lost his dad in October of that year. Yeah. So um, it was great for me to already have friendships with people who could help me through my grief. Yeah. And the best time to make a friend is before you need a friend. Yeah. And uh, yeah. and so if we wait to build relationships until after we need them, that's the wrong time. Yeah. Um, so I would start investing in relationships early, and that way those relationships are there when you need them. I know for me walking through that, I mean, our relationship has been so uh, – I mean, I couldn't put words to it. So yeah. valuable um, because it doesn't, as a, as a lead pastor, it's such a unique role. Yeah. There aren't a lot of people you feel like you can talk to that understand what you're walking through. Yeah. And, and this is, it might sound weird to say this, but as a pastor, and really for a lot of people, I think they feel this way, but specifically as a pastor, there are very few people in my life who don't need anything from me. Yeah. 
and um, uh, whether it's my wife, I'm her husband or somebody in my church, whatever it is. And so it's important to have people in your life that really don't need anything from you. They, you don't need to be Pastor Mel or you don't need yeah. to be, you know, that you can just be vulnerable with. And especially somebody who's walking a similar path. Yeah. You know, that's that's really important. So, you know, that's one of the reasons I see a counselor is yeah. because I think that's really valuable. My counselor doesn't need anything from me. Yeah. They can be honest with me and they can say, no, you're being an idiot if they need to. Or and That was one of the lessons I learned from you, uh, even before my dad passed away, starting to see a therapist, mm-hmm. a counselor, because... I recognized, uh, I mean, you'd said, hey, uh, it's good to have a counselor as preventative maintenance, so to yeah. speak. And I was like, I don't know if I need that, but I'll, I'll. so uh, since my dad passed, my frequency has increased, but yeah. um, that was one of those valuable things. And there's such a, uh, unfortunately, a, a taboo mm-hmm. uh, around pastors or Christians in general, sure. seeing a counselor, which I think is horrible, but what a beneficial thing. To, uh, to be able to talk to someone, like you said, that needs nothing from you. Well, I mean, and I, I tell people this, um, you, you don't get your oil changed because your car's broken down. Yeah. You get your oil changed to keep the car from breaking Correct. down. Yeah. And a lot of times, unfortunately, as pastors, we've got so many people relying on us, we don't think we have the time. And then when there's a crisis, that's when we need. And it's like, no, 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 you should have been changing your oil so your engine didn't break down, yeah. right? Yeah. And, uh, and so I think if pastors would, like you said, get by the stigma and just go, okay, I'm going to carve out, you know, one hour a month or one hour every six weeks, whatever it is, it's going to help their emotional health. And it kind of goes back to the same thing about friendship. The, the best time to get emotionally healthy and spiritually healthy is before you need to, yeah. you know. Yeah. It's, it's a lot easier to stay out of a ditch than it is to get out of a ditch. Mm-hmm. So That's good. Yeah, I think it's important. How has walking through that in your own life shaped you as a pastor? Um, I think it's one thing to do funerals and to love people that are dealing with loss, but it's another thing to be truly sympathetic and go, man, I know where you're at. Um, cause I'm never the person that it's ever going to say, I know where you're at. If I don't like a child's dealing with addiction, I'm never going to be like, I get it cause I don't. But when it comes to a loss of a parent, I can sit with a family and go, man, I, I know where you're at. And this is where, you know, um, we can we can extend the grace that we've received, you yeah. know. Um, that should be in the Bible somewhere. Yeah. And uh, so would I want to lose my dad again? No, absolutely not. But I'm so grateful that I experienced the the kindness and the goodness and the grace of God through that. And now hopefully God can extend that same kindness and goodness and grace through me I in re- a way that he couldn't have before. Oh, yeah. I remember doing a, a funeral um, a few months after my dad passed away, and it mm-hmm. was an older lady that uh, my dad was a pastor and an older lady that had been part of his church when he had pastored. Yeah. And uh, on a normal basis, my dad would have done that funeral. Mm-hmm. Um, and because my dad was, wasn't around, um, they asked me to. And I remember standing there. It was the first funeral I did since my dad passed yeah. and the emotion of the moment. And it was a really, and you, you understand what their people sitting on that front row feel mm-hmm. on a different level than you did before yeah. for me at least um any other just for someone might be walking through that any other lessons you learned uh things you do differently or things that you did right you know i, I feel like going into that i'd put some some things in place some habits some routines that helped me navigate that a little better but um but even with that I still felt some resistance to be honest about how I felt because I didn't want to be judged or I didn't want, I'm supposed to be the pastor and strong and lead and, and, um, and I wouldn't say I was dealing with shame, but 
it could have easily become shame. And that kind of shame or that kind of emotion can keep us from getting healthy. And um, so were you uh, from a platform? Were you how transparent were you just with the grief? You I was really through? honest. Yeah. I mean, um, so my dad passed away on on um, Monday, December 23rd, uh, 2019. We had our Christmas Eve services. I mean, you know, here in the Northeast, you know, it's going to be our biggest services of you the bet. year. So we're expecting, you know, three to four thousand people in attendance at our services. And then I find out my dad's in the hospital. I fly out. My wife preaches that weekend. I mean, it preaches all the Christmas Eve services for us. This is yeah. an incredible job, by the way. Yeah. So I'm there. My dad passes away. Um, one of my staff members preaches that weekend for me while we're there away. And then I come back the next weekend and I, I decided to preach. And we were starting a series on the wilderness. Wow. And it was like, That's okay, timing. come on now. So, you know, I, I, uh, I just felt like, Hey, um, I'm going to be vulnerable and I'm going to be honest. And, and you can be, um, you can be authentic without sharing all of your stuff. Yeah. And there's some things that I'm was feeling and dealing with that I knew my church doesn't want to hear this. Like, but I want them to know that, man, we all experience deep pain and we all experience grief and God is good in spite of that. And I can say that and preach that, but I want you to see me live it now. Um, How did your so, congregation respond to that kind of transparency? Oh, they were awesome. They were awesome. And, and really, when when we can admit that we're not perfect, it gives people in our congregation permission to admit that they're not perfect. So and good. so it really does bring a level of freedom to your congregation where people go, oh, man, I've been dealing with or I've been struggling with. And thank you so much. And, um, and I think it just... People don't relate to our strength, they relate to our weaknesses. Yeah. You know, if I tell yeah. people how great I am and man, my dad died, but I'm awesome. Things yeah. are good. God's in control. Seems fake. It does. Yeah. But when I go, man, I'm hurting. And I told our church, I just said, I'm I need you to give me some grace. Cause this is this pain is right below the surface right now. You know, yeah. and I'm gonna heal, I'll be better, but right now I'm struggling. And uh, it, th- there's something that's deeply relatable to that. Yeah. So I, I think it, it helped build bonds with our church in ways that couldn't have if I would have just been the tough guy pastor. They kind of stuck with you through that. Yeah, just absolutely. Cool. That's pretty absolutely. cool. You know, this, I, I appreciate you being transparent about that. I know that's a really difficult thing to talk about. Yeah. And um, I, I think it's really important for pastors to get to hear some of that. You know, this past year, uh, I think, has been one of the most challenging seasons in, in a generation for sure to pastor through. Yeah. Uh, with COVID and all the uh, social issues, injustice issues, political issues. Um, how do you think, from kind of your perspective, how do you think the church will be different uh, coming out of this season? Um, you know, one of the things, and this is anecdotal because this is what we've experienced, but one of the things we've seen is we've seen so many unchurched or dechurched people that have showed up at our doors because I think, um, COVID really brought to the surface some of the things that were kind of buried by all the distractions, all the busyness, all the stuff we do that kind of um, masks some of our pain or isolation or loneliness. All of a sudden that stuff was revealed. And so we had people that were really authentically seeking God. And they didn't even know maybe that they were seeking God, but they were seeking something and they turned to church. And uh, man, we've had so many uh, just hurting people show up and our attendance is still not what it was pre COVID, but I, I've told, I've told our staff, uh, that's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, 
it's not our job to produce results. It's our job to be faithful to do what God's asked us to do. So he's responsible for the results. So we're going to keep doing what we're supposed to do. And, and so um, we've seen a different kind of enthusiasm and excitement than we saw before. Um, but I, I think overall, I think the church is going to be healthier yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of churches that were resistant to change were forced to change in a lot of ways or forced to embrace some new ways of doing things that I think are ultimately going to be really healthy uh, yeah. for the big C church. Yeah. Um, and and not to downplay all the hurt and pain yeah. and fear that's still resident in our mm-hmm. churches and with the people that we love. But I think overall it's going to be healthier. What, what, what do you think is a lesson, the capital C church, you know, the, the, the global church, what do you think is a lesson that the global church or capital C church has yet to learn in the season that they need to learn? Um, I, I think one of the things, one of the things I've seen is there are some churches that had a come and see model that now their come and see models just online, you know, yeah. it, and, and it's not much to see. Right. Yeah. Right. Unfortunately, uh, you know, Jesus said, go to the hedges and the highways and compel them. Right. Yeah. Like, and it wasn't just about come to the house, but it was like, let them know they're invited to the party. And, um, and so I think one of the things that happened is people went online, but now online is just still, hey, come here. Still and a screen. It is. And so I think um, that's one of the things that I'm, I'm. it makes me uncomfortable, I don't love. But I think the churches that really get it understand, you know, a lot of them were mobilized to do ministry, like your church was, mobilized to do ministry through this that they yeah. weren't doing before. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of churches learned the value of, uh, creative evangelism, like, yeah. hey, we're not just going to tell you to come to church so we can preach the gospel. We're going to mobilize people to go be the church and go do things. Yeah. And so I think that gap between churches who have that come and see model versus the go and serve, go and compel model, those are, I think that gap is probably wider yeah. in some ways, but um, that's something I think I've seen. And I yeah. would caution churches, just because you're online doesn't mean you're reaching lost people. That's true. Um, just because so you're streaming your service on Sunday does not mean you are going to the hedges and the highways. Just so. because you're on Christian television right. broadcasting doesn't yep. mean you're reaching lost people. Yeah. Uh, what do you think has been the be- biggest blessing of this season? I mean, this sounds crass to say it this way, but the fact that our finances didn't stink because we were prepared for a 40% drop in our finances. Yeah. I mean, we made adjustments and we were ready. And, um, you know, 2020, our finances were up 14% over the year before, just our tithe and offering. Yeah. And this year we're trending up again. So it's like our attendance is down, but our generosity is up. And that's a huge blessing because COVID would have been so much harder if I was having to lay staff off. What do you think uh, contributes to that? Um, man, people are pretty resilient and yeah. people, people respond, respond to crisis. Um, I mean, if you look historically at our nation, world war two, nine 11, all yeah. these huge events, yeah. uh, something in us rallies to that. And I think even the kingdom of God, we, we rally behind crisis and tragedy. And, and so the people that were generous in our church stepped up, um, the people we had a lot of new, new givers, just yeah. people going, okay, this is important. And, um, and so, yeah, that's probably what I would say. So do you think that, that 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 resilience ties back to your resilient vision to be able to communicate it, like keep it out in front that they saw you weren't going to just lo- roll over and and give up? You were, probably. You, you had this vision like we're, we're pressing on. Yeah, we're, probably because there wasn't a single point. We had two weeks where we fir- when we first shut down that our giving was down. Um, but even in that, 
I was never, ever, ever, ever about to get up and say, hey, we need you to increase your giving so we can keep paying our payroll yeah. or so we can pay our bills. Because yeah. need is not need is not attractive. Need does not drive generosity. Yeah. Vision drives generosity. So we just doubled down on the vision. Hey, here's what God's called us to do. And just because things look different doesn't mean we're going to stop doing it. Yeah. We're going to keep reaching lost people. And it's going to look different than it did before. But yeah. here's what we're doing. And, and it was never fake. I never lied, Mm -hmm. but it was like, I had to lead with some faith in that and go, Hey, is this really what God's called us to do? Okay. Well, let's keep communicating that. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. good. I know for us, that was one of the, so important, like the idea that was kind of circulating was the church is closing, the church is closing, church is closing. And I hated that idea. I don't, I, that just rubbed me the wrong way. The church is never going to close. Yeah. for us, you know, we moved into food distributions and things in the community to say, if you think the church is closed, come, come, come and see. Yeah. It's not closed. And we're not closing our doors. We might not be able to gather in person. Right. But that doesn't mean we're closing. We're, yeah. we're the hands and feet of Jesus. And I think, I, I think you, you talked about, you know, some churches adopting new technology and things. I think that was valuable. Seeing churches look outside their walls, mm-hmm. I think was also, a, there were churches that never even recognize the neighborhood they live in or they they, they function in or the yeah. community they function in. And for the first time, they're like, oh, there's something we can do to meet a need. And mm-hmm. and um, I think that's been really, really valuable. Yeah, 100%. Uh, last, last couple of questions and kind of wrap things up here sure. today. Uh, for someone stepping into a new role as a lead pastor, what advice would you give them? Um, probably the top thing would be don't worry about what the critics say. Um Jesus was the son of God and couldn't keep 12 guys happy all the time. So if, if you're leading a church of 50 or a hundred or a thousand or whatever the number is, there's zero chance everybody's going to like what you're doing. So if all you do is pay attention to the critics, you're going to be in trouble. My dad, before he passed away one time, he told me, he said, um, and I was dealing with some criticism about some things in our church and my dad, Eastern Oklahoma, he said, son, a train doesn't stop for every dog that's barking along the way. Wow. That's and a good line right there. So that's um, a good line. For me, I just go, hey, I'm going to have a deep conviction about what I feel like God's called me to do, and we're going to go do it, and we're going to lose people. Um, and just to expand on this a little bit, my first five years at Summit Church, um, I lost one of our top three givers every single year for the first five years. Wow. And if I would have done some things differently, if I would have just sang more hymns, if I would have just adjusted or deviated from what I felt like God called us to do just a little bit, we could have kept them. But our giving, we've never retreated. Every single year since I've been at Summit, our income has been up. And so that's the faithfulness of God. Yeah. Um, that's trusting God enough to say, God, I'm going to be faithful to do what you've asked you me to do instead of trying to do what these people want me to do. Yeah. And so I think if if you can lead that way and say, okay, God, this is your church. I'm going to steward it the way you want me to. It's amazing what God will do. So I would say forget about the critics. Do what God's called you that's to awesome. do. That's awesome. One of the things I think is really awesome about your vision and what you're doing at the Summit is your vision for rural communities mm-hmm. and for your whole county. I mean, you mentioned yeah. you're the largest community in the county, but there's a lot of smaller rural communities <laughs> all around you. Yeah. Um, at what point did uh, that vision for the county for rural communities start to formulate? Pretty quick after uh, probably in 2015. I came in 2014. Probably in 2015 is when I was looking at some um, census data and I saw 90,000 people. And um, and I'd seen some numbers that said uh, forty seven thousand people of the like eighty eight thousand in our county profess no church affiliation at all, and uh, that was startling to me. 
Um, and so I started, my very first thought was, God, how am I going to reach 47,000 people? It was like the Holy Spirit, like kicked me in the rear and like, you can't stupid, you know, like you can't reach 47,000. Yeah. Um, so it was like, okay, so how do we get that number to zero? And like, okay, the only way to do that is by helping the churches in our area because we can't do it, but yeah. if we do it corporately. And so we started developing this vision for, um, for what we call the back 40 network, but it's just relational network where we go, Hey, we want to encourage pastors. We want to bless pastors. So if there's a church of 50, well, they don't need to become a church of 5,000, but what if they became a church of a hundred? And what if a church of a hundred could become a church of 200? Um, what if the pastor that's struggling, he's, you know, um, bivocational, he's discouraged. What if he was encouraged enough instead of quitting? Um, what if, what if he could stick it out another year? You know, what, what could that mean for his church? Um, so there's all kinds of things like that that we just felt like, okay, we can't reach 47,000, but what if we help other churches do that? And the beautiful thing about that is that, you know, we're a large church, but you don't have to be a large church to be responsible for your area. You, yeah. you can say, whether you're a church of 50 or a thousand or whatever, you can say, I want to bless and uh, encourage the pastors and the churches around us. And we're going to, we're going to have a team mentality where you know, we're not going to be territorial about our people. We're going to love our people, but we're going to love the other church churches around us as well. And so that's really what we did. Our church embraced that. And so we've done some cool things like a few years ago for Christmas, um, we sent uh, 10 or 12 pastors from small rural churches. We sent them a $1,000 check for Christmas and that's just said, awesome. hey, we just want to bless you and your family. Thanks for what you're doing. And and some of the stories we heard from that were ridiculous. Awesome. And m- maybe a church doesn't have ten thousand extra dollars to do that, but I bet they could. They could do, send a hundred dollar check yeah. to a pastor. And so, really, it's not about do what we're doing. It's about figure out how you can be part of the body of Christ and encourage growth and development. And and that's really what we did. Is we Love just it. said, what do we do? So that's awesome. Yeah, that's so cool. What What's one of the biggest lessons of rural church ministry you've learned? Um. You can change the paint on the walls really quick, but culture is hard to change. Yeah. And, and culture is hard to change even in urban or suburban areas, but it's especially hard to change in rural areas because people get ingrained. Um, they're not accustomed to change. Uh, a lot of people live in the same place their whole life, their third or fourth generation in that same place. And so culture takes a while to change. So if you're a pastor and you're going to pastor in a rural area, you've got to understand God-ordained vision is awesome, but God-ordained timing is, is important as well. Yeah. So don't get frustrated when you can't change everything you want to change in yeah. six months. It, it might it's take good. years of yeah. investment, but it's worth it if you'll invest it. That's awesome. If, if someone wants to hear more about the Back 40 Network, how would they uh, connect with that? Yeah, we've got uh, our website for Back 40 is back40.network, back40.network. Um, we took a, a hiatus from our podcasts and some of those things, but we're starting that back up. Our Back 40 podcast, uh, our Back 40 conference, uh, we have annually. It's a one-day event this year. Um, it's going to be, uh, depending on when this airs, it's going to be uh, June the 26th. It's a Saturday in Indiana, PA, and you can find out more information about that, back40.network. But, awesome, awesome. Yeah. Uh, thank you for taking the time today, oh, Mel, and uh, having this conversation. If someone wants to keep up with you personally, uh, any social media or ways the best to follow you? Or yeah, I hate all social media, basically. Uh, but I'm on <laughs> Do you have, I'm a, a you have MySpace? MySpace? <laughs> yeah. Or Zenga? Zenga? Zenga, Zenga. Yeah. Um, No, uh, I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um Twitter the least, but you can find me on any of those platforms, just Mel Massengale, Mel, M-A-S-E-N-G-A-L-E. 
And our website for the church is just summitpa.church if somebody wants to connect with us there. Cool. But I'm happy to help pastors uh, serve. If somebody's listening to this and there's a way I can help you or our staff can help you, we'd be delighted. So don't hesitate to reach out. You do an awesome job at that. And I uh, so appreciate you taking the time today. And uh, this has been Nick Poole from Calvary Church in Irwin uh, with this month's conversation on the Change Group podcast. Thank you, Mel, for taking the time. Thank you guys for listening. Feel free to uh, subscribe, uh, give us a review, and let others know, others, others know what we're doing. And uh, we look forward to seeing you guys next month for another conversation uh, with the Change Group. Thanks for joining us for this month's podcast. If you'd like more resources or to learn more about The Change Group, you can visit us at thechangegroup.org. Next month, we'll be back with another valuable conversation, and we hope you can join us.